this new week. Thank you for this new day. And we thank you for this spokesperson for you. Father, we pray for Sheila this morning that you would use her to touch our heart. Lord, that you would anoint her with wisdom, with clarity, and with total freedom, Lord. And that we would all rejoice this morning knowing that we have felt your touch in our lives. And so we pray now, Lord, to prepare our heart for your spirit to move in us. Amen. 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 And now we will start by stripping off. Oh. Right. We're going to turn, we've got two readings this morning, and the first one is in 1 John 1. No, 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 hang on, got that wrong. John 1. John 1, the Gospel of John. <laughs> the first chapter, and I'm going to start reading at 35. 35. And this is the first public appearance of Jesus. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And then we're going to turn to the letter of Peter. We're going to turn to the second letter of Peter. And this is something... Something else he saw in his, with, in his time with Jesus, and he wrote about it in these words. And it's 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18. And Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 2 Peter 1. So it's the second Peter, the first chapter, and verse 16. It's very confusing then when I've picked two people, two readings, and, and they've all got several books. Very difficult. <laughs> and this is what Peter wrote to the Christians around where he'd been preaching, and he wrote this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So we've looked at two readings about Peter, and this is the person we're going to look at this week. We're going to look at Peter. And I just want to sort of introduce you to what Peter was like. And I want to take you back to the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago and to a town on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. Capernaum was a busy, bustling town on the North Shore. And it was a very important city because it was on a trade route. It was on the trade route from Damascus to Egypt and the Mediterranean, which went to Egypt, Damascus, and the Mediterranean coast. So it was, it was a real hub, really, for all sorts of people and things. It housed a Roman military garrison. So it had people from all over coming to it. And many people passed through, so it made it the ideal place to have a toll station for tax. So it was a real sort of international, bustling, busy place. But it was also on Lake Galilee. And Lake Galilee was well stocked with fish. And there, there was a thriving fishing industry around Lake Galilee. And, you know, life for the fishermen would have been very physically demanding. These men had to be fearless. They had to be brave. They were often outspoken, said what they thought. And they had to fierce face and furious storms on, this, on the Lake of Galilee. But they would have a basic education, these fishermen, but they would be well-versed in their religion because they made sure that all their, their boys and men were well-versed in that religion. And they would have known all about the Messiah. These people would have known about the Messiah. They would have known that God had promised them a leader and he was going to send this leader to Israel. So one day, a new preacher burst on the scene. It was John the Baptist, and he was very different. He led a simple life. His teaching was authoritative and strong, so different to the teaching that they were used to, that it drew people to him. And he soon gathered a faithful group of followers, among whom were Andrew and a friend of his. But, you know, these people became friends of God, followers of Jesus, of God and John, and they became sort of impressed by his teaching. But one day, one day, another man came on the scene. And this other man was much respected by John. And John pointed to this man and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And John baptised Jesus. And then Jesus started talking to the people. And as we've read today, he asked Andrew and his friend to go with him. And they spent time talking to him. And it made a really deep impression on these two men. And they rushed off to find 
Andrew's brother, Simon. And they said to him, come, you must come with us. We have found the Messiah. Well, Peter was also a, a fisherman. He was a strong, impulsive man. He had a tendency to speak his mind. And he probably used strong language because it says in Mark 14, when Jesus was going to be cru crucified, but he, that's Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. It had obviously been part of his language as he was growing up and it came back to him at times of stress. But you know, Peter met Jesus and Jesus looked at Simon and he looked straight at him and he said, you shall be called Cephas or Peter, which means the rock. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I meet new people and I don't look at them and think, that's what you're going to become. You know, you see, that you see people as they were or as, you, or as you see them as they are, not as they're going to become in the future. <coughs> but Peter met Jesus. And you know, Jesus could look at a person and see not only the man before him, complete with all his flaws and all his problems, but also the man he knew he would become. And, you know, this was said of Michelangelo when he was, um, when he was doing this sculpting. <coughs> he could look at the blocks of rock and stone that other sculptors had rejected. And Michelangelo could see forms in it that he knew he could work with. So he would start with this rejected block of stone and he would work hard on it and he would chip away at it, and gradually he would change it, and finally he produced the masterpieces which we all still know today. And this is what happened with Peter. Jesus looked at him and saw the man that he would become, and Jesus had big plans for Peter. He looked beyond the rough-hewn fisherman saw him as he could be and you know it's how he works with us now we all know what we're like deep inside but Jesus is working for us and I I sort of picked up this black t-shirt in in town the other day and it reminded me of t-shirts that people used to wear and well they still do but this, this on the front of it it said God has not finished with me yet. Do you remember those T-shirts? Sometimes it used to say, be patient with me. God has not finished with me yet. And this was the case for Peter. God had started with him, but he hadn't finished with him. So we're going to remember that because the person we are when we first come to know Jesus is very, very different to the one we will be when Jesus and the Holy Spirit have worked in us. Like Peter, for the rest of our lives on earth, we are a work in progress. And do you know what I find that? There are times when I find that so comforting. <laughs> you know, you go along and then you fall and you think, I'm a work in progress. Praise the Lord for that. So Jesus has begun a work in us, which he will continue all our lives.
And you know, we don't know where he's going to lead us. We don't know when we step out with him in what ways he will change us. We don't know how he's going to make us into the men and women of God he intends us to be. And you know what? That's why I've entitled this series this week, Peter, the Making of a Man of God. And we could all substitute our names there. I could substitute Alan's name, Alan, the making of a man of God, or Richie, or myself. No, or anybody here could substitute their name because you are the making of a man of God. God is making you into what he wants you to be. So we're going to look this week about how God changes people over their lifetime. And we're going to focus on the life of Peter. And you know, no man's journey is the same. We can, but we can learn much about the way God works if we look at Peter and his relationship with Jesus. So we're going to look at how God works in us. We're going to learn from how Jesus worked in Peter. And we're not going to study this life of Peter chronologically. Each morning, we're going to take a different aspect of his life and we're going to see how God changed him. So this morning, we're looking at meeting with Jesus. Tomorrow, we're going to be looking at walking with Jesus. On Wednesday, becoming like Jesus. On Thursday, broken for Jesus. And on Friday, we're going to look at how Peter was a channel for Jesus. So we're going to look through, but not in chronological order. So it's going to be a bit of dotting about. But, you know, Jesus has begun his work, and he begins his work in us. He looks into our hearts, and he sees what we are truly like, but also what we can become if we allow him to work in us. You know, to a certain extent, it's a two-way thing. We have to allow the Lord to work in us if we want him to change us. This was brought home to me a few weeks ago um, with our local church. <coughs> We'd been preaching in some churches in the circuit, in the Methodist circuit, and we got no training for this. Now, it doesn't go down too well in Methodism. You, you, know, you have to have the local preachers' course, but we, we've got no qualifications at all. So it made me really look at what the Lord had done for me because our vicar said, the local preachers would like to know how you come to, you know, what your training is and what your background is. So I, I sort of looked back at what experience we've had. And, you know, I was amazed and surprised at how God, what God has done in my life. Because I'm so different now to what I was 50-odd years ago when I came to know the Lord. If, you know, I look back on it, I'm amazed at what he's done. So I thought, well, how has he done that? And a lot of that is working in me, putting me through life experiences, putting me in a place where I've got to come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, I, you know, I didn't do right, I sinned. I need you to help me. And also, we've had the good Bible teaching in these conferences. We've been coming here for 50 years. <laughs> Sounds terrible. No, not, is it 50 years? No, we, won't, we haven't been married that long, have we, Rich? Can't be 50 years. We met here. 
So we've been coming here about 46 years and we've been getting the Bible teaching. And you think, the Lord's been speaking to me. The Lord's been working in me. He has changed me through it. And he continues to do so. He hasn't finished yet. He is still working and I can see changes even since we moved to Cornwall. So none of us are going to be perfect in this life, but God is working in our lives. Are we willing to submit to his hand on our lives? And the change begins when we meet Jesus. It began with Peter when he became a friend and follower of Jesus. And you know, it takes time to get to know new friends. And when, as we're getting to know people, every so often, we hear something new. And you know, it might be surprising, but it means we get to know these people better. And it's the same with Jesus. Getting to know him at the beginning and meeting him is only the beginning of the new life with him. Over time, Peter met Jesus in new and different ways, in new and different situations, just as we do today. So we're going to look at situations where Peter learned more about Jesus, about who he was and about what he came to do. And we've already seen that he looks at us and sees not just who we are, but who we can be. And we're going to move on a little in um, the life of Peter to that time when he'd been fishing, and they'd been fishing all night, and they had caught nothing. And they came back, and they were shattered. They'd been up all night, worked hard. They came back, they're sitting, mending their nets, and this fellow Jesus comes along and says to him, let's go out again and let down our nets again. And I can just imagine what Peter thought. He's not a fisherman. He didn't know anything about fishing. And, you know, what's he coming along and telling me that for? But do you know what? Peter did as he asked. And he did it because his friend Jesus asked him to do so. And he must have been astounded because they caught netfuls and netfuls of fish after having nothing at all all night. He'd witnessed a miracle. Peter had been there and witnessed a miracle. He was beginning to see that Jesus had power over all things. He was beginning to understand that Jesus is in control of all things. And you know what? It had such a powerful effect on Peter. He saw Jesus as he really was. He saw him not just as a good man, but as the all-powerful, all-knowing God. And it caused Peter to cry out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It caused Peter to see himself as he really was. He was a sinful man, not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. He saw the holiness of Jesus and it gave him an acute awareness of his unworthiness. And in contrast to the sinless Son of God, Peter saw himself sinful, not worthy to be in his presence. And you know, Peter's not alone in the Bible in this. 
when Job saw the Lord, his reaction was, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. See, there's a difference. You've heard of him, but now Job had seen the Lord. And what was the result? What did Job say? Therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. The sight of the Lord had caused him to repent. Isaiah was another one. He was a great prophet and a great teacher. And he'd written five of his chapters of his, um, of his book, Isaiah, until he came to chapter six. And then he saw the Lord high and lifted up in his temple. And his reaction? Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He had been a prophet for the Lord, and yet he still needed to meet Jesus in a different way. And did Jesus depart from any of them? No, he didn't. He didn't depart from any of them when they saw themselves as sinners. And why not? Because Jesus came to earth to save sinners. Jesus came to earth to show grace to people like them, to people who didn't deserve his grace, to people who were failures in their own eyes, who'd let him down badly, who were in a poor and needy state. Or maybe they were so capable they felt they didn't need a saviour. Jesus came for these people. Job, Isaiah and Peter saw holiness of God and Jesus and they came to a realisation of their own sinfulness, acknowledged that they were sinners and it changed their lives forever. And I heard this message. I met the Lord and I came away to the conference and, and I thought I knew a lot of what it was about and then the Lord pointed out to me something in my life and it devastated me he pointed out jealousy in my life and I was devastated and you know you begin to think the Lord will have nothing more to do with you but the Lord didn't leave me I'd heard the teaching I'd heard that if we repented of these sins that they could be forgiven I thought I'll give it a go so I did and it worked. And I, it, I, it turned my Christian life absolutely on its head and upside down. And I went back to my church in Nottingham and I just told them all what had happened. And they all sat there quite gobsmacked, really. Nobody said a word. But the Lord had changed me. And that's how I have walked for the last 40 odd years. Peter knew without a shadow of doubt after this experience that Jesus was Lord and he was prepared to follow him anywhere. Didn't know how God was going to deal with this sin but it wasn't a problem for Peter. He was following the God of miracles and that at that time was enough for him. So they followed Jesus and they saw power. Jesus had power over the physical world. They were in no doubt about that. 
he performed miracles. He could call spirits out of people. He could feed the 5,000. They'd even seen him raise a young girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter. No doubt in their minds that this Jesus had power which normal men could never have. But, you know, this was getting a, a, a year or two into Jesus' ministry. Calvary was drawing ever closer. The disciples needed to know more about Jesus. And he needed to tell them more about what was going to happen. And his teaching was taking a serious turn. Were these disciples ready for it? And he said to them one day, Who do you say I am? And to prepare them for this teaching, of who asked, and the result of asking him who he said they were, he took them to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is a place which was renowned for the worshipping of Baal. It was renowned for the worshipping of the Greek god Pan. And at Jesus' time, they were worshipping Caesar. So they worshipped whatever gods they could almost get their hands on. And he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So people gave an answer. They thought, maybe he's, like, maybe he's John. His teaching is simple and authoritative. Maybe he's John. Or perhaps he's Elijah. After all, he performed miracles and we're told Elijah will come again before the Messiah comes. Or maybe Jeremiah, a prophet of deep compassion, warning of sin and judgment. Nobody, nobody could come to a consensus as to who Jesus was. So what about today? If Jesus asked that question today, and he does sometimes, what do you think people would say? A good man, a historical person, a freedom fighter, a friend and guide. I've heard all those preached in churches. But you know, never said anything about him being a saviour. A saviour from sin. He is all these other things, but the key thing to Jesus is that Jesus came to save us from sin. And you know what? I don't think Jesus was was surprised by the answer they gave. The most important thing was the question that came next. Who do you, you, think I am? Now, this was a question that was a challenge to me in my conversion. Because we were around at the minister's one day and he was talking about Jesus and, and him being the son of God, but a good man. And he said, now, who do you think he is because the answer to this will change your life and I realised that my conversion hinged on who did I think Jesus is is he the son of God and I said yes Lord you are the son of God Peter was getting to know more and more about Jesus and I was getting to know more and more about Jesus. And it was important, you know, for that, because these people were going to pass on his message to the world. 
They needed to be sure of who he was. And Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And, P and Jesus was delighted. This answer, he said, has been revealed to you by God. Revealed by the living God. Not by the dead gods who, that these people in Caesarea worship. This has been revealed to you by the living God. What a picture that was. The people who worship the dead God, the followers of Jesus who were worshipping the living God. So then he went on. And Peter discovered that he understood Jesus was the Messiah and that he'd been sent by God and that he was the son of the living God, but he still didn't understand other things about Peter, about Jesus. He didn't understand that Jesus had to suffer and to die and to rise again. He didn't understand that. And Jesus' teaching was now taking a different turn. No longer was it palatable to man's ears. It became more difficult to understand. In John 6, he starts and tells them about, he is the bread of life. You must eat my flesh, you drink my blood. They had no idea what he was talking about. And people began to turn away. In 14, verse 41, we learn that they grumbled. In verse 52 of John 6, we learn that they argued over his words among themselves. In verse 60, they admitted that these sayings of Jesus were becoming very difficult. And in verse 66, many of his disciples turned and left him. They were all right when they were on the receiving end, but now he was demanding a, a commitment from them. So why did these people go? Why did these people disappear and not come back to him? You know, do you think maybe they might have been following for the, what they thought were the physical benefits they could get? That he would feed them, he could heal them, he could all do all these wonderful things for him. But that is not enough. When we were out in Uganda, we went to a place called P Kabali and we went with Joan and we went to the university and we hosted a lunch for the people in the university. And it was a fellowship lunch and after the meal, we shared our testimony. And we shared about how the Lord had changed us and pointed out sin and that we could go to him and everything that Andy was talking about last night. And then the students stood up and they started to share testimony. And as you listened to those testimonies, it became obvious they talked about how they'd met the Christians and the Christians had provided shoes for them. They'd met the Christians and the, they'd provided food for them. They'd met the Christians and they'd provided this university that they could now come to. Next morning, we got a knock on the door. Very early, about eight o'clock in the morning it was. And there was a man there who'd been at that meeting. And he said to us, did you notice in that meeting 
that those testimonies I was hearing were not testimonies from people who needed God to save them and to change them. They were testimonies from people who'd received things from God, but it hadn't changed them inside. And he said, I was worried about these testimonies. These people had become Christians because of how the Lord had provided for them, not how he had saved them. And he said, he said to us, when I listened to your testimony, it took me back to revival when all the testimonies were about how Jesus had saved them. And then I was talking to somebody, oh, not long ago now, and she went out with Mission Direct. And Mission Direct do a great work around the world. And she went to Cambodia, and she was teaching, um, working with the girls on the streets in Cambodia. And she said they wanted to get them off the streets. So they paid, they paid for them to have training for a different job. Things that they could teach them, like hairdressing and that sort of thing. They taught them, and they provided them with a place where they could work. So these girls left the streets and worked on there. But they began to find that they weren't getting paid enough for the work they were doing. They weren't earning the money that they could earn back on the streets and that would keep them in the manner to which they had become accustomed. And she said, these girls, when they found that, turned back. And they turned back onto the streets. You can't just change a person outwardly and provide them with things. What the Lord does is changes inwardly. He gives us new life. And that's what these girls were missing, new life. They hadn't been given the new life that springs up inside us when we become Christians. And when it got the tough, got, it got going, it got tougher, or they couldn't have what they wanted, they then turned back to the old life. They were not prepared to carry on with Jesus. And as Jesus watched these disciples go, he turned to his own disciples and he said, do you want to go as well? Do you want to go? And Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus had been walking with Peter and slowly, uh, with Jesus, and slowly Peter was beginning to realize all these things about Jesus. He had realized there was no one else to go to, that Jesus was the Holy One of God. He'd realized that Peter could satisfy his deepest need. Jesus could satisfy his deepest needs. Jesus would be there for him when all else failed. He'd be there and who loved him, and even though he knew him through and through, he still loved him. Jesus still loved Peter. And a few days later, something happened, which Jesus never, Peter never forgot, and it had a profound effect on Peter. And this was another step 
in his spiritual walk with Jesus. And this left an everlasting impression. Jesus went up to a mountain to pray and he took with him Peter, James and John. And they were sitting there on this mountain and something extraordinary happened. The physical appearance of Jesus was transformed and Moses and Elijah came and stood next to him and they were talking to him and Peter and James and John were sat there watching this. I, I don't know what they thought, but I can imagine it making such a difference to their lives. And it, as I say, they never forgot it. And they were talking about the coming death of Jesus. And this was yet another of those pictures that Jesus used to show so much. Because there was Moses there, and Moses would have brought to mind God's law. It would have brought to mind the Passover lamb, which delivered them from slavery. It would have brought to mind the lamb of the tabernacle, which brought forgiveness and cleansing from sin. And then Elijah was there, and he represented the prophets. And these men knew all about this, and it spoke to them of the Messiah and the prophecies concerning him. And it all together, this picture would show Peter, James, and John how all this was going to come to fulfillment in the death of Jesus. The law, we still follow the law, it shows us what to do, but it has no power over us. The Passover lamb delivered them from slavery. That's what Jesus does. He takes us from the slavery of sin and darkness into life. Do what reminds me of when I was teaching. We'll go in a minute. When I was teaching, we used to have an assembly every, mor every morning. And one, one day, I don't know if it was one day a week or when it was, but Concord used to go over the top of our school. And when Concord went, took, was taken off and went over the top of the school, everything stopped. Because you could hear nothing else but the noise. And it just reminded me. And you can imagine everything stopping for Peter, James and John when they saw this. And they heard the voice because God spoke through, through that experience. And he said to them, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in Matthew it says, listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. Peter was learning yet more about Jesus through his meetings with Jesus. He was learning that Jesus had come to bring fulfillment and to, to bring a new covenant in. He didn't understand it when he saw the transfiguration. Here we go again. 
He didn't understand it then, but he would later. He wanted to keep Moses, Elijah, and, and Jesus on the same level, make three booths for them. He didn't understand that bit, but he was slowly coming to understand more and more and more about Jesus and why he came. And that's what happens with us. That's what happens with us. And for some people, that's important. We had a friend at Windsor, and she was mentally unstable. Not only was she mentally unstable, but she came from a background where, where there was sort of abuse and all sorts in the family. And, and she finally beat up her dad. So she had a lot in her background. It was a Sikh background, so she really didn't know about Jesus. But she started coming to the church, and she was in the manse one day, and she told this tale so many times, and she said, I was sitting there in the drawing room in the manse, and Jesus came through the door. She said, and I knew, I knew it was Jesus. Not many people get that experience, but you know, she needed that experience because of her background. And God gave her the experience she needed. And God gives us the experiences and the meetings with him that we need. And these disciples had extremely difficult times ahead. They needed something to keep them walking with Jesus. And God gave them this extraordinary, unforgettable, life-changing experience. And we read what Peter wrote about it at the end, didn't we? We read about how he did not forget it. Because he said, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And he wrote about that in his last letter. So Peter was a work in progress. And as Peter walked with God, he kept revealing more about Jesus to him. He was learning more and more about Jesus and his relationship. He realised he was a sinful man. But Jesus was a powerful one. That Jesus had power over the physical world and over the spiritual world. Then he realised he was the son of God. Only Jesus could satisfy his deepest needs. Then he gave him an insight into his deity and an affirmation that Jesus is God's son. And then he took him on in other things. Well, I'm not going to go into those, but Jesus, Peter needed to understand about the sacrifice, sacrifice required by Jesus. So Jesus began to talk about his death, the things that would happen after his death, his second coming, the urgent need to tell the world about salvation, the need for cleansing, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But you know, his mission wasn't just to give meat and drink and earthly power. Jesus' mission, and this is what the disciples really needed to know, was to bring redemption, to bring forgiveness, to bring righteousness, to bring peace with God and joy. And his disciples were beginning to understand that. He carried on with his teaching and they all listened. 
but it all became clear in good time. And we need to listen when God speaks to us, whether it's from the pulpit or whether it's from the word or whether it's in our life. Because these things go into our mind and we do remember them. It's there. And Corrie Ten Boom used to talk about this and she said, you know what? God puts all I need to know in the wardrobe of my mind. And she said, I don't always understand what God is saying to me, just as Peter didn't always understand. But she says, God hung these things up in the wardrobe of my mind. And when the time came for me to understand it, the Lord brought it to the forefront and he can apply it. But unless we are walking with him, he can't do that. He can't do that. We need to have things put in there. And, and then he can bring them forward when we need to understand them. So as we meet with Jesus and read the Bible and pray and spend time with him, more about him is revealed to us, sometimes slowly, Sometimes it's life-changing, but as we trust and obey and apply, we come to know him more and more throughout our lives. And that was really all I had this morning, but I've got some questions here. And I, most of them are sort of practical things, really. We were talking last week about being witnesses and how we could witness, well, one of the ways we can do that and we can sort of train ourselves is by talking with one another about what the Lord has done for us. So I want us to think this morning and to share with one another about how we've met with Jesus over the years and what we have learnt and what God has shown us and sort of by sharing with one another, getting used to talking about it talking about it and maybe there's things in the wardrobe of your mind that you've forgotten and that when we're talking today you might think oh I remember that so the questions are all sort of practical things about sharing what the Lord has done so I've got five sets of questions somewhere but we might only we're just getting into groups sort of small groups of about I don't know how many of us there are, four or five, six round tables, and I've got four, and if necessary, five sets of questions. So we're getting into groups, so find a table to sit round. <laughs>